Tonight's talk is entitled Inspiration from Enlightened Women. During my many years of the Dhamma practice, I have noted that most of the teachers are male, monks, men, and very often when they uh, use examples or stories, it's examples and stories from monks or men. And very rarely, it's examples and stories from women or nuns, with the few famous exceptions, like Venerable Kema, Venerable Patachara, or Venerable Kisa Gotami. And on top of that, in most of the retreats, most of the practitioners are women, <laughs> like in this retreat too. So. <clears throat> to counteract that imbalance, I uh, have uh, searched stories from women practitioners, nuns, and laywomen. It's nothing against the men, <laughs> but just to bring a bit more balance in the uh, teaching. And so tonight, I will talk about some nuns and women whose life completely changed after they met the Buddha or after they came in contact with the Buddha's teaching. Their stories are a source of great inspiration and at the same time they show that the problems they, they were facing were not essentially different from the problems we are facing nowadays. Hearing about what they had to go through provides us with a great deal of encouragement to proceed on our path to freedom. And hearing about their almost insurmountable obstacles, we, we are inspired uh, not to lose our courage and not to give up so easily. So their examples can strengthen our determination to walk the path until our, all obstacles are overcome and true and lasting peace and happiness attained. The Buddha's teachings are to be used as guidelines and we have them, we have to put them into practice in order to benefit from them. They are not only a set of doctrines to be studied and learned by heart, but their value lies in the fact that they address human concerns and show ways and methods 
of dealing with them. All the discourses of the Buddhas were skillful and helpful ways and means of how to overcome suffering and how to become fully liberated. These stories show that the teaching of the Buddha is a reliable source and has a transformative power. And the Dhamma, the teaching of the Buddha, comes to life when it touches our lives and when it brings about a transformation in us. And it is through the Sangha, the community of those who are practicing the Dhamma, that the living stream of the teaching has been flowing throughout the ages up to the present day. The Sangha is fourfold. It consists of nuns, bhikkhunis, monks or bhikkhus, laywomen and laymen. And at the time of the Buddha, it was quite revolutionary that women were admitted as disciples and that they were allowed to practice the Dhamma. Until then, at that time, women were completely excluded from any religious practices or offices. But contrary to the prevailing belief, the Buddha stated that women had the same ability to become enlightened as men have. And so the many women and nuns who practiced the Buddha's teaching proved that having a female body is no obstacle for becoming enlightened. If one develops morality, concentration and wisdom, it doesn't matter if one is born male or female. Enlightenment happens irrespective of superficial distinctions such as gender, race or caste. So many of the women and nuns, they became models of compassion, wisdom, loving kindness or generosity. The two main female disciples of the Buddha were the Venerables Kema and Upalavana. Venerable Kema was foremost in wisdom and Venerable Upalavana was foremost in psychic powers. And then there were many more women and uh, nuns who got this title of being foremost in a certain uh, field or quality. For example, Venerable Dhammadina, she was foremost in expounding the Dhamma. Or Venerable Patachara, she was foremost in the Vinaya, the monastic discipline. Venerable Kisa Gotami, she was foremost in wearing rag robes. Or Queen Samavati, she was foremost in loving-kindness, and the Lady Visaka was foremost in generosity. 
order was the Lady Sukiyang, and she was foremost in nursing the sick. Quite a number of women entered the order of the Bikuni Sangha after their little children had died. In those times in ancient India, infant mortality was much more common than it is uh, nowadays. Their grief and utter desperation um, about the death of their children were the sparks that ignited a fervent wish not only to put an end to their grief, but to put an end to all kinds of suffering that they had to go through. For example, Ubiri greatly mourned the death of her little daughter until the Buddha pointed out to her that at the same charnel ground she had departed with thousands of children in her past existences. Because she had acquired strong merit, this short discourse of the Buddha was enough to turn the lamenting mother into a fully enlightened person. Ubiri clearly saw the vastness of samsara, the never-ending cycle of birth and death, and she was prepared to leave it behind. Or the story of Patachara is even more dramatic. She not only lost her two little children, but also her husband, her parents, and her brother. And this was too much for this young woman, and so she went crazy. But she came across the Buddha, and through his compassion and a suitable discourse, she regained her mindfulness. And at the end of that discourse, she had become a stream enter, attaining the first stage of enlightenment. The Buddha had told her that the amount of tears that she uh, wept over the loss of her beloved ones in her uh, uncountable existences that this amount of tears was even greater than the amount of all the waters contained in the four great oceans. Patajara ordained as a bhikkhuni, and not long after that she became an arahant. Another stumbling block on the way to freedom is one's attachment to beauty and the resulting pride and conceit. Throughout the ages, women have used various means of beautifying their body and hiding the signs of advancing age. Of course, this is a futile attempt to pretend that the body is not aging and falling apart. However, if wisdom is applied to the aging process instead of facelifts, makeup, creams, then that could deepen our understanding of impermanence 
on several levels. Ambapali, Vimala and Queen Kema were three women living at the time of the Buddha who were greatly enthralled and infatuated with their beauty. Ambapali, she was a very wealthy and an extremely beautiful courtesan in Visali, or in other words, she was a high-class prostitute. Her clientele were the Vichavi princes. Before she met the Buddha, her only concern was to take care and maintain her beauty. But after she met the Buddha, she was able to face the inevitability of aging and the loss of beauty. So later, she ordained as a bhikkhuni, and also she became uh, fully enlightened. When Venerable Ambapali was already quite old, she addressed a group of her non-disciples with the following verses. She said, O my beloved daughters, when I was young, my hair was jet black, as is the color of bumblebees. Now it is white and withered like fibers of hemp. Or, when I was young, my teeth were white as jasmine flower buds. Now they are yellow and broken, the cheeks falling in an ugly appearance. Venerable Ambapali realized how all the charms of the body give way to ugliness and pain. All physical beauty, no matter how perfect it may seem at one given moment, is um, utterly impermanent. It doesn't last. Vimala was another woman who was greatly infatuated with her beauty, and she was just a normal prostitute, following in the footsteps of her mother. And Vimala said, I was very proud of my beauty. Despisingly, I looked down on other women. I thought nobody matches my lovely figure. I beautified and adorned this body of mine. Then I stood at the door to catch my prey in the snare I spread out. When I stripped for the men, I was the woman of their dreams. In her case, it was Venerable Mogalana who pointed out her blindness to reality. He told her that this body was nothing but a smelly and stinking heap of bones, blood, pus, urine, excrements, and so forth. He said that there was actually nothing that could be considered nice or fragrant. Vimala realized her vanity and understood that everything was incessantly decaying. She too took up the robes and later became an arahant.
queen came up, she too was a woman who greatly was uh, enthralled by her own beauty. She was the uh, woman of King Bimbisara, and King Bimbisara was actually a disciple of the Buddha, and he had become a Sotapanna, a stream emperor. And so he wanted uh, Queen Kema to go and meet the Buddha and understand the Dhamma, but she refused to go and meet the Buddha because she heard that the Buddha despised beauty and she didn't want to hear any words of blame or uh, against her or uh, looking down upon her vanity um, being so beautiful. But King Bimbisara thought of ways of how he could make her go to the monastery or meet the Buddha. And because Queen Kema loved everything that was beautiful, so King Bimbisara ordered poems to be made describing the beauty, the beauty of the Veluvana monastery, the place where the Buddha was staying. And so when Queen Kema heard these poems, she got curious and a desire to go and see that beautiful place arose in her. And so one day, one morning, she set out for the Veluvana monastery with some of her attendants. She went there in the morning because she knew that the Buddha was going on arms round into town and so she picked that time when he was out of the monastery because under all circumstances she wanted to prevent to meet him. So they went to the Veluvana monastery, walked around in the monastery, enjoyed the beautiful flowers, the lovely songs of the birds and the tranquility and peacefulness of the place. They also came across the Buddha's kuti and she went near to peer inside. But then she caught sight of the Buddha sitting there and next to the Buddha was a very beautiful young lady who was fanning the Buddha. Queen Kema had never seen such a beautiful woman and she had to admit that this young woman was even more beautiful than herself. So in grand amazement she stood there looking at this young woman. And the Buddha with his supernormal power made this young beautiful woman um, getting older. So in front of Queen Kama's eyes the young woman, she grew older, her skin became wrinkled, her teeth started to be, become yellow or falling out, her hair turned grey and later white, and finally her body was all bent. And finally she had to use a stick to walk away 
but after having taken just a few steps, this old frail woman fell down on the ground and was dead. Queen Kema was shocked. After a while, the Buddha addressed her, saying, My beautiful Kema, just as the nature of the body of this old woman, so is the nature of your body. There is, not, there is nothing beautiful in the body. It's just a disgusting heap full of impurities. There is nothing to adore or to hang on to. Let go. Let go of it and you will reach the peaceful state of Nibbana. <coughs> Queen Kema listened attentively to the Buddha's words and by the end of it she had got it. She had become a Sotapanna, reaching the first stage of enlightenment. After that she asked for forgiveness from the Buddha because she always had tried to avoid him, not to meet him. Then after that she went back to the palace and she went straight to King Bimbisara and asked for permission to be ordained as a bhikkhuni. Although Queen Kema was his wife, King Bimbisara was happy to see that his wife had understood the Dhamma and readily and happily he allowed her to become a bhikkhuni. So then she became a nun and continued to practice and it said after 15 days she uh, became an arahant. One day as she was sitting outside meditating under a tree she was approached by Mara, the tempter. Mara called her and uh, said to come with him, to have fun with him. But Venable Kema said that she had no more desire for any pleasures of the senses. And so then Mara realized that she was an arahant. And so then uh, he sneaked away. Later, at one stage, the king of Kosala went to see Venerable Kema and asked her some questions. And she answered these questions. And later, when King of Kosala met the Buddha, he asked him the same questions. And the Buddha answered them in the same way as Venerable Kema had done. And so then the king of Kosala related that incident, saying that Venerable Kema had given the same answers. And so after that, then the Buddha gave her the title of being foremost in wisdom. In many of these stories, these women or nuns became enlightened within a short period once they met the Buddha or once they came in contact with the Buddha's teaching. And this was due 
to their accumulated uh, perfections over the many thousands of lifetimes during which they had practiced and perfected their morality, concentration and wisdom. So when they attained enlightenment instantaneously or after a short time after the teaching, they reaped the fruits of their wholesome actions that they had done in the past. As such, it was not a miracle or a wonder, but just a natural result of their arduous practice. But not all who met the Buddha or encountered his teaching became enlightened within such a short period of time. There were many nuns and of course also many monks who had to practice for many, many years until they had the final breakthrough. One such a woman was called Chitta and she ordained as a young woman and spent her whole life striving for enlightenment. She only reached her goal as an old nun when she climbed up to Vulture's Peak. When she reached the top of this mountain, being tired and exhausted, she leaned herself against the rock. And it was in that moment that the darkness of ignorance was dispelled and that she became fully enlightened. Or there was a woman called Dhamma. She actually wanted to become a nun, but she was married and her husband didn't give her permission to do so. So she only could do it in her old age after her husband had passed away. So already old and quite frail, she had to use a stick when she was going for arms round into town. And one day, as she was returning from her arms round, she tripped uh, on a stone and fell to the ground. But as she kept her mindfulness, and as she was still mindful of what was happening when she was falling down, her mind penetrated into the appearance and disappearance of all phenomena and so she gained insight into the frailty and impermanence of her body and so there lying on the ground she uh, became fully enlightened. Another Sikuni who had to strive for many many years was Venerable Siha. Venerable Siha was overcome by strong lust and desire. Although she practiced according to the instructions given by the Buddha, her desire and her lust did not diminish or disappear. So for seven long years she was practicing and constantly, day and night, 
she was overcome by this lust and desire. She didn't have even one moment of peace or quiet. And so finally, after uh, the seven years, she was so desperate, she was so much in despair, that she took her rope, went into the forest, and she fixed one end of the rope um, on a branch of a tree, and with the other end of the rope, she made a loop. And then she put this loop around her neck. And it was in this moment that the veil of ignorance was torn aside and she penetrated into the deepest truth. She became an Arahant. So, can you imagine what it means to be tormented by strong lust and desire for seven years, day and night? You have been practicing here now for about a week and you know how difficult it is to deal with challenging uh, mental states, how difficult it is to stay even for one hour or for half a day or for one day. So, are you prepared to go on for another seven years? (laughs) So again here we see that one of the most important qualities on the spiritual path is patience and perseverance. It's a long and tedious journey and it requires a lot of strength and perseverance to face all the obstacles that we encounter on this path. So, so far, all the stories that I've told you were about women and nuns living at the Buddha's time. And so now, I'd like to share the stories of two women um, who, who um, of this time. One is a Nepalese nun. Her name is Dodamavati. And the other one is Deepa Ma. Deepa Ma has actually uh, already passed away some 15 years ago. So first I will talk about Dota Mavati. As I said, she is a Nepalese nun um, in the Theravada tra- tradition. She is now 69 years old and She has two nunneries in Nepal, one in Kathmandu and one in Lumbini. What I admire especially in Dota Mavati's life story is the determination and perseverance with um, to do what she wanted to do. Dota Mavati was born into a wealthy family in Patan, which is just next to Kathmandu in Nepal. Already in an early age, she took interest in the Buddha's teaching, and so she started to learn Pali language. 
there was a Nepalese monk who had studied uh, in Burma and so with him she started to learn Pali and when she was about 12 years old she heard that in Burma there were many many nuns and many nunneries and so hearing that she instantly knew that she wanted to become a nun and she wanted to go to Burma and she wanted to do it right away but her father didn't give her permission to do so but her wish to go there was so strong that she looked for another way to go and with the help of her mother and one of her aunts she ran away from home with her two best friends that day her father was on a business trip in Kathmandu and when he returned the following day realizing that his daughter had run away he set out to catch up with her and that was in the late 40s at that time there were only a few cars in the Kathmandu Valley and so it took some time uh, until the father could organize a car and so he drove to the other, other end of the Kathmandu Valley where the road stopped and there was a gate that um, closed at night and one needed to have a special permit to pass that gate so Dodamavati and her two friends they managed to uh, pass through the gate before it closed and so the father couldn't get hold of them and then they had a very um, adventurous trip uh, all the way to India and first they went to Kusinara that's the place where the Buddha entered Parinibbana where he passed away and in Kusinara there was a Burmese Vihara and so they uh, stayed there they had no passports they had no visa for Burma so they told the monk there that they wanted to go to Burma and that they needed a passport and a visa and that monk his name was Udama Buddha he was very kind and so he tried to get a passport for them but it seemed to be very difficult and they thought maybe it would be easier if they ordained as nuns and so the three of them they ordained as nuns and in the meantime they continued to study Pali and they also started to learn Burmese after they had stayed there for about five months the mother of the two friends and a servant of Dodamavati's house finally arrived there and urged them to come back her two friends they had no choice they had to go back with their mother but Dodamavati didn't go with them and so she stayed back alone and Dhamma Buddha had promised them that he would 
help them to get the passport, get the visa, and bring them to Burma. And so Samavadi reminded him that he should keep his promise and that she still wanted to go to Burma, that she still was determined to go there. So Udama Buddha, he had no choice. And so because it seemed to be impossible to get the passport there, he decided that uh, they would go to Calcutta, trying to get the passport there. So they traveled to Calcutta, and again they stayed in the Burmese monastery there. But it was really impossible to get a passport for Dodamavati, as she was too young. At that time, she was only 14 years old. And so, having no passport, they couldn't travel on to Burma by ship or plane. So the only possibility that remained was going by land. And so they left Kolkata and traveled to Assam, which was the border between India and Burma. And shortly after they left from the Burmese monastery in Kolkata, another search party of Dodamavati's house came to look for her. And but the Burmese monk in the monastery in Calcutta, he kept silent about the whereabouts of Dodamavati. He probably foresaw that Dodamavati's stay in Burma would be greatly beneficial for her and her country. So when Dodamavati and the monk came to the Burmese border, they met a group of elephant traders, Burmese men who were uh, trading with elements, elephants, and they were about to go back uh, into Burma. And so they allowed Dodamavati and Udamavuda to join them because there was no road, no path. Um, it was just a little trek through the jungle. And so these elephant traders were, um, knew the track very well. And so it took six, six days of walking through the jungle until they reached the first Burmese town. And that was Nichina. And to the great surprise of Dodamavadi, she found a group of Gorkha people living there. Nepalese people, and first they heartedly welcomed Dodamavadi, but then some of these people found it strange that this young girl would be traveling with a monk, although she was a nun at the time, and so they reported it to the police, and the police came and arrested Dodamavadi. Udama Buddha tried to explain the special circumstances of their unusual uh, journey, but to no avail. And not long after that, the police headquarters in Yangon ordered 
that Dodamavadipi sent to Yangon. Udamavada, he knew some sponsors, some people living in Yangon, and so he sent a telex telling them to please uh, look after Dodamavadi. And one of these persons happened to have some connections with the police headquarters in Yangon. And so this man managed not only to get Dodamavati out of prison, but he even managed to get a passport for her. And then he arranged for her to stay in a well-known nunnery in Molmain, which is in the south of Burma. So then Dodamavati um, stayed in that nunnery and was learning the scriptures with all the other Burmese nuns. And she stayed there for 13 years, passing all the different exams and finally passing the Dhammacharya exam. This is the level that Burmese nuns and monks must pass in order to be able to teach the Dhamma in public. So then, at the request of her family, she returned back to Kathmandu. And there, immediately, she started to set up a nunnery in Kathmandu. It's the Dharmakirti nunnery. And very soon, she had a lively community of Theravadan nuns in her monastery and also a group of lay disciples and supporters. And so, nowadays, if you go to Kathmandu, uh, you might come across nuns wearing the pink dress as the nuns do in Burma. So that's uh, Dodamavati's uh, endeavor of bringing uh, Theravadan nuns to Nepal. Nepal is mostly Hindu, but then there are also many uh, Tibetan nuns and monks living there. Dodamavati never met with easy conditions, but due to her strong and unwavering determination and with a steady effort, she could set up this flourishing order of nuns and lay community in Nepal. And recently, about four years ago, she could open her second nunnery in Lumbini, the birthplace of the Buddha. And that nunnery is called the Mahapachapati Gotami International Nunnery. The other woman that I'd like to talk about is Deepa Ma, and her life is just extraordinary. A few contemporary women underwent such a life-changing transformation within such a short time as Deepa Ma did. Deepa Ma 
was born in 1911 in East Bengal. This is present-day Bangladesh. And she was born into a Buddhist family. And already at a very young age, she showed a keen interest in learning to get knowledge. At that time, uh, it was not usual that girls were sent to school, only the boys, but one could not help hold back the uh, Bama from attending school. But in accordance to the norms of her culture, she had to be married before the onset of menstruation. So that means that at the age of 12, she was married to um, a man called Rajani. He was from the neighboring village and he was an engineer. And he was actually working in Burma, in Yangon. So after the Bama had been married, then of course, again according to the social uh, conventions, she had to go and live with her husband and with her parents-in-law. But only after one week after the wedding, her husband, Rajani, went back to Yangon to work. And so Deepama, a 12-year-old girl, was left with her demanding parents-in-law. And they only allowed her very um, occasional visits to her parents' home. So those of you who are mothers or parents, could you imagine uh, giving your 12-year-old daughter into marriage? <laughs> and after two years, they put her on a ship heading for Yangon to join her husband. And although it was an arranged marriage, very soon Deepama and Rajani they fell truly in love with each other. And Rajani proved to be a very caring and a gentle husband. So they were quite happy, but her, their relationship was challenged with one problem. And that was the fact that she couldn't conceive a child. And for a woman in that culture, that was the worst thing that could happen to her. And so her parents-in-law, they arranged another marriage for her son, for their son. But Rajani, loving Deepama uh, dearly, he didn't do that. So he stayed with Deepama. When Deepama was 18, she heard that her mother died. And this news was a great shock to her. And she fell into utter grief and desperation. And it was also at that time that Deepama got typhoid fever. And she had to stay in the hospital for several months. When her mother had died, she left a little boy who was only 18 months old. And 
because the father couldn't care for that little baby, um, he sent the little boy to Yangon so that Dipama and her husband could care for the little boy as their own son. Dipama and her husband, living in Yangon, they were actively involved in the Buddhist community. They uh, kept the five precepts and they did daily chanting at their home. And besides of that, they offered um, uh, a meal for the whole community twice a year. And they were also known for other acts of generosity. For example, they paid for the school fees of poor families who couldn't afford the fees. Or they offered their home, their house, as a shelter for the homeless. From the day uh, Dipama arrived in Yangon, she had a strong wish to meditate. But her husband said that she should first fulfill her social uh, obligations as a mother and a wife. And so Dipama, she tried to find some ways to at least study the Buddhist text. Then, during the Second World War, um, Burma was occupied by the Japanese troops. And when they finally left, in 1945, the little brother, uh, Dipama's little brother, that they brought up had become a young man, and he went back uh, to his uh, native place. And so again, Dipama thought that now it would be a good time to go off and meditate. But then the miracle happened. After more than 20 years of trying to conceive a child, she found herself being pregnant. And then she gave birth to a little girl. Her husband and Dipama were very happy about that. But, unfortunately, the little girl fell sick and after three months uh, she died. Again, Dipama was overcome with grief and on top of that she developed a heart disease. But four years later she got pregnant again. And again this time it was a girl. And they called her Deepa, and that girl survived, and because it was so extraordinary that Deepa had become um, a mother, that Deepa Ma had become a mother, uh, she got her nickname, Deepa Ma. Ma means mother, and Deepa was the name of her daughter, so the mother of Deepa. Again, several years later, she got pregnant again, and this time it was the all-important baby boy. 
But uh, to her utter despair, the little boy died uh, at birth. And uh, subsequently, the Bama sunk into great, uh, great grief and despair. And again, she asked her husband for permission to go and meditate to get relief from her despair. But again, her husband said no. And so soon, she developed hypertension, and so she had to stay in bed for several years. So besides working as an engineer, Rajani took also care of his wife and their daughter. And one day, he came back from work saying that he didn't feel very well. And within hours that evening, he died of a heart attack. So, in ten years, Deepa Ma lost two children, her husband, and her health. Now she was a widow with a seven-year-old daughter, uh, whom to, she had to bring up on her own. During that time, she cried a lot. Her health uh, deteriorated even more, and she was exhausted in despair and really facing death. And so she realized that unless she uh, did something uh, against her uh, grief, she would die of a broken heart. And so she asked herself, when I die, what can I take with me? She looked at her dowry, her golden saris, her silken saris, all the jewelry, the money, and even at her daughter. And then she made up her mind. The following day, she left to, she left for the Kama Yuk Meditation Center in Yangon. She went to her neighbor saying that all the material possessions, the house, the wealth, the money, the gold, that all was hers now and that please she should take care uh, of Deepa, her daughter, bring her up, give her a good education. Because Deepa Ma expected never to return, she thought if she had to die, then better die while meditating. But then things developed a bit differently from what she had thought. On the second day in the meditation center, she was bitten by a dog. And because of that, uh, she had to leave the meditation center every day in order to go uh, to see a doctor and get injections against rabies. And she had to leave the meditation center exactly at the time when lunch was served, and that was the only meal that was served. So she missed the one meal. And so after a few more days, she got so weak that then the was that she better go home and regain her strength. So then she went back and 
her daughter, Eva, had been quite upset that her mother ran away just like that. And therefore, then she stayed at home for several years. But what, but uh, whenever she had time, she practiced meditation at home, as she had learned in the meditation center. Sometime later, she learned that a good friend of her family, who was a meditation teacher, was staying in the Mahasi Meditation Center in Yangon. His name was Anagarika Munindra. And so she uh, invited him to her home and she related her experiences in her meditation. And Anagarika Munindra encouraged her to continue with her practice. And by that time, Deepama's sister, Hema, with her family, they also had moved to Yangon. And so this time, preparing to go for a retreat in the meditation center, she could give her daughter to her sister, Hema, who would take care of her. And so then, um, she left for the meditation center the second time. And this proved to be uh, life-changing. Although during the first two days, what she encountered in her meditation was nothing than sli- uh, sleepiness. Since the death of her husband, she had been an insomni- insomniac. And now, being in the meditation center, all she could do was sleep. <laughs> But she persevered, and by the third day, she had overcome her sleepiness. And then she was able to attain um, strong mindfulness and deep concentration. And within a few days, she went through the classical stages of insight knowledge. And on the sixth day of that retreat, she attained the first stage of enlightenment. So, finally, after three decades of searching for freedom, at the age of 53, after six days of practice, Deepa Ma had the first glimpse of that sorrowless state called Nibbana. After that experience, her blood pressure returned to normal and also her heart palpitations diminished to a great extent. She stayed two more months at the meditation center and after that she went back home. And in the following year she made frequent short trips to the meditation center and also practiced at home as much as she could. And then after a year, she went for another retreat at the meditation center, and then she experienced a second breakthrough. And this time, it was only after five days of intensive practice that she became a Sakadagami, 
attaining the second stage of enlightenment. And after having reached this level, her whole physical and mental condition uh, were transformed again. And this was quite astonishing for her friends. So Deepama, having been a weak, sick, dependent woman, uh, overcome with grief, now she had become a healthy, independent and radiant being. Inspired by her example, uh, her friends and family, they also came to the center to practice. The first were her sister Hema and one of her friends. And later it was also uh, the daughters of Hema and Deepama. And so for about one year, uh, frequently they went uh, for shorter periods to the center and they also uh, practice at home, the whole family. And so for example, during meal times they kept strict noble silence and they were completely mindful while eating. And so as a result of this uh, intensive practice, in the center at home, all their six children, uh, after one year, all of them reached at least the first stage of enlightenment. So Anagarika Monindra was staying at the Mahasi center, but then he planned to go back to India, where he was originally from. And so Mahasi Sayadaw uh, told him that before going back to India that he should practice the supernormal power that can be attained through practicing the jhanas. Such powers as flying through the air, walking through walls, diving into the earth or walking on the water. But Anagarika Munindra said that he had no time to do that. He had many disciples whom he had to teach and so he thought to train um, Deepama, her sister Hema and three of their daughters because uh, all of them they uh, were endowed with firm morality so they knew that they wouldn't fall prey to the seductions of misusing these powers because having these powers one can also misuse them for unwholesome things. And among Thema, Deepama and their three daughters, Deepama was the most adept. Um, it is said that sometimes she would arrive for the interview by just walking through the wall or she would just materialize out of thin air or once she appeared um, coming out of the ground and as if coming out of the water and her uh, dress and hair were actually dripping with water 
So then, one year later, 1966, Munindra left for India, and then Deepama started to become a teacher. And one of her first students was one of her friends, uh, Malati, who was a widow and had six little children to bring up. And so Deepama gave her instructions of how to meditate at home because she couldn't leave her children. And, for example, Deepama instructed Malati to be aware of the sucking sensation of the baby um, at her breast and uh, be fully aware of that every time she would breastfeed her baby. And as that amounted to several hours in the day, as Deepama had hoped, Malati um, also reached the stage of Sotapanna, never having been to a meditation center. After another year, the Burmese government had all foreigners leave to leave the country. And so Deepama, with her daughter, they moved to Calcutta. Her daughter was studying, and so in Calcutta, she, con- she could continue her studies in Bengali. They lived in a small apartment, uh, and when the news spread that an accomplished meditation master had arrived, people started to come and see Deepama, asking for teaching. And so it was in her little flat that she started to teach whoever came and asked for teaching. And Deepama's ways of teaching can be summarized with the following words. She used to say, The whole path of mindfulness is this. Whatever you are doing, be aware of it. It was in the late 60s and early 70s that Westerners came to know of her. It was Joseph Goldstein and other Western um, teachers who are now teaching the Dhamma in the West. And so they invited Deepama a couple of times to attend, to teach at the three-month retreat at the IMS in Barrie, Massachusetts. After her second trip to the USA, that was in 1984, her health deteriorated, and so she didn't travel um, anymore. But still, she kept teaching in her little apartment in Calcutta. And then in um, 1989, she unexpectedly died at the age of 78. That evening when she died, Deepa Ma didn't feel very well, and so her daughter Deepa asked, if she should go and call a doctor. 
and a bit hesitatingly, Dipama agreed. But then Dipa couldn't find the doctor. But one of the neighbors, he came and he started to massage Dipama's arm. And in the words of his neighbor, um, uh, it's, it happened like this. Then Dipama asked me to touch her head. So I touched her head and I started chanting the sutras she taught me. When she heard me chanting, she bowed with her hands in prayer. She bowed towards the Buddha and did not get up. So, together with Deepa, we lifted her off the floor and found that her breathing had stopped. She had died in her bow to the Buddha. Her face was very calm and at peace. It's a great encouragement to hear the stories and um, life from these women. By their example, they inspire us with confidence and give us the trust that the Dhamma has transforming and emancipating power. Their lives demonstrate that the spiritual ideals described in the scriptures or that we hear hear about in teachings that they are not um, theoretical uh, concepts or ideas but that these spiritual ideals can actually be achieved by human beings like you and me. We see that these women and nuns they began as ordinary beings, having the same difficulties, the same obstacles, the same doubts. But through diligent practice, coupled with patience and perseverance, they rose to a truly noble state. Due to the universality of the Buddha's teaching, we too can apply it in our lives, and by practicing it, we too can become kinder, more compassionate, and wiser. So when we sow the seeds of the practice of generosity, morality, concentration, and wisdom now, then we are sure to enjoy the fruits of these practices um, before long. What is needed is patience and perseverance in the face of difficulties and challenges and trust and confidence in the working of the the practice. So may all of you be endowed with these qualities and find true peace and lasting happiness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.